and welcome to Thank You for Toilet Paper, a history of the little things. A podcast where we talk about a few things to be grateful for and the history and stories behind them. I'm your host, Elizabeth Miller. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get going. In my senior year of high school, and quite frankly throughout all of my high school experience, I was a very creative dresser. I don't have many regrets in that area except for maybe one, but we won't really talk about that, mostly because I cannot find the words to describe that particular outfit other than floral, blue, purple, pink, and neon somehow altogether. It was great. With leggings. It's, it was a lot. Anyways, we'll move on. For my senior pictures, I was intent on wearing everything that represented me, which led to me putting on my orange and yellow rain boots. These things looked like I had sunshine on my feet, and I loved them, and no one could convince me otherwise. Now, were they very practical? Not necessarily, as I live in a desert, with about 38 inches of rain per year, which averages out to about 91 days of rain in the year, depending on where you live. Which I don't think is enough rain, in my opinion, as I personally love the rain. And as a high schooler, I am sure that I was trying to encourage rain of some sort with my bright orange boots. These boots stayed with me through college, and I'm pretty sure they are somewhere in my closet right now. I am standing in my closet, I should probably just look behind me, but I won't because I'm talking to you. Unfortunately, they couldn't make the trip with me across the pond to where they would actually be useful because they were way too heavy to pack into a suitcase headed to London. So, in honor of my (coughs) unique style choices throughout high school and a general love of rain, and in particular the freedom afforded for splashing in puddles when wearing this footwear, let's take a moment to celebrate the rain boot. Upon first searching for some history on the rain boot, what came up in the search results was in fact the history of the Wellington boot. So let's start there, as the English nickname for the waterproof boot is in fact the wellies. So, or wellies, probably not the wellies, like it's not the Google, I do that, I'm old. The English Wellington boot was adapted in style from a Hessen riding boot. These boots were a particular favorite of one Arthur Wellesley, the first Duke of Wellington, thus the nickname. Originally, this boot was worn exclusively by the middle class and the aristocracy of 19th century England. The Duke of Wellington had specifically instructed his shoemaker in London to make adjustments to the Hessen boot of the 18th century thus creating his new invention of his own Wellington boot. The adjustments made the boot great for riding, as well as attractive evening wear of an informal variety. The Wellington boot was popular through the 1840s and the 1860s, when it then found some competition with ankle-high boots. The Wellington began to spread to other countries as well, particularly popular for its waterproof nature, which would allow those working in wet fields to enjoy the comfort of dry feet and all the medicinal advantages afforded to one who can keep one's feet dry. The use of rubber for the rubber boot itself was very dependent upon Charles Goodyear and Leverett Candy's work with rubber, in particular the vulcanization of rubber. Otherwise, rubber is quite brittle in the cold and would therefore be unsuitable to many of the industrial uses that we have for it today. Goodyear's rubber galoshes came about in about 1890. While initial Wellington boots were made of leather, Goodyear's work with rubber, as well as the company that later became Hunter Boots, made the shift for wellies from leather to rubber. During World War I, these boots became a staple of army dress, particularly helpful in dealing with flooded trenches throughout Europe. The British War Office asked the North British Rubber Company, which later became the aforementioned Hunter Boot Company, the British War Office 
asked the Hunter Boot Company to get to work developing boots up to the task of taking on the trenches. In the First World War alone, they ended up producing 1,185,036 boots. Wellington boots were again necessary for World War II, with soldiers in the wet fields of the Netherlands and in other places during the war. By 1945, wellies had become popular for men, women, and children. They had also changed slightly in style, resembling more the Wellington boots that we see today. As the Wellington boot became more and more popular, also among various labor institutions, and as concerns about safety in the workplace grew, the Wellington boot saw many modifications, including the addition of a steel toe for protection. These days, the steel toes, which were initially made with real steel, are now made using a plastic like a thermoplastic or polyurethane. These boots go beyond protecting our toes from the rain, however, as they are also useful in industrial work, in mines, chemical plants, horticultural and agricultural work, sailing, food processing plants, and other places where a clean environment is essential to production and safety, including the production of electronics. In the 1950s, talk about concerns over monopolies in boot production began to be discussed. As Hunter Boot continued to produce Wellington boots in the 1950s, these boots came to be synonymous with Southern life in England. In 1980, Princess Diana, who was then Lady Diana, was pictured wearing a pair of Wellington boots at her estate in the country, which led to the popularity of the boot skyrocketing once again. Wellington boots are typically about knee-high, although there are shorter versions available. They are made of rubber, PC, or a halogenated polymer. In Australia, rather than Wellington boots, these boots are nicknamed gum boots, or sometimes even blucher boots, although this nickname is much older and actually refers to one of Arthur Wellington's colleagues from the Battle of Waterloo. As many boots are a staple of various industries, from fishing to farming, the farming community of Taihape in New Zealand has named itself the gum boot capital of the world. In fact, a large statue of an enormous gum boot sits behind the town's sign, welcoming visitors. They host a yearly celebration called Gum Boot Day that involves a number of activities, including best dressed gum boots, shoot the loop with gum boots, and throwing gum boots. It takes place the Tuesday after Easter. The object of the game of throwing the gum boot is to throw a Wellington boot or gum boot as far as possible. Different regions practice the game differently. Some require that the boot be full of water before it's thrown. Others allow the person throwing to have a running start. The game's origins appear to take root in England in the 1970s. The current world record throws were set in 1996 at 63.98 meters or 209.9 feet for the men by Teppo Luoma from Finland and 40.87 meters or 134.1 feet for women by Sari Tirkon, also from Finland. In New Zealand, the nickname of gumboot might have a few different origins. Some suggest that it got its nickname from the gum rubber that was used to make the boot, while others suggest that it came from 19th century Kauri gum diggers who would wear the boots. In Nordic countries, rubber boots were also essential. In fact, Nokia, which some of you may recall as the producer of the indestructible phone, before they made phones, the company actually produced rubber boots. Rubber boots became extremely popular in Russia in the 1920s due to their practicality for weather. Later, however, the rubber boots became part of a politically charged discussion, whereas rubber boots were seen as supporting socialism and leather boots were considered the more expensive alternative and were seen as representing capitalism. 
This resulted in fewer leather boots being sold between 1961 and 1964. In the latter part of 1964, a change in the political leadership resulted in more leather boots coming back into play, and rubber boots returning to their usual popularity as a utility boot, less fashionable style. These days, the boots play about the same role as they do in just about every other country. One of the largest rain boots in the world is found in Tully, Australia, and is called the Golden Gum Boot. It's 26 feet tall. This particular rain boot was built as a way of commemorating a record rainfall when the town got 311 inches, or 25.9 feet, of rain in 1950. And while we're on the topic of records, there's another one worth mentioning. Hunter Boots created a rain boot-shaped hot air balloon that was large enough to hold 100,000 rain boots. It was 120 feet tall, and they flew it across Europe and the United States. So whether you're tossing them for a new record, using them to sing and dance in the rain, or perhaps using them to help you make the next great technological advancements, rain boots are essential to helping us take our next steps into the future. I'm grateful for rain boots, gum boots, Wellington boots, however we may call them, and for all the adventures they've made possible and high school senior pictures they've made memorable. We're going to call it memorable. <laughs> That's it for this week. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care.